Welcome to the Frederick Seventh-day Adventist Church podcast, your place for positive, uplifting messages of hope. To learn more about the church, feel free to drop by fredericksdachurch.org. Robert Quintana shares a Christmas message that goes beyond the manger by making sense of biblical prophecy, which explains why we know his return is very soon, and reminds us the reason he came to this earth was to be that ultimate sacrifice for us. Well, I hope that uh, you've come prepared this morning. And I hope that you brought your Bibles. And if you did not bring your Bibles, you can probably find one right in front of you in your pew. Um, because we are going um, to open the Word of God this morning. And I am so excited about today's message. But along with the excitement, there's going to be a lot of hard work. You know that most things that are most rewarding in life are the ones that come with the most work. And so we're going to work hard this morning. But hopefully, prayerfully, we will be that much rewarded for our hard work uh, this morning. We're going to tackle this subject in a roundabout way. And so I'd like for you to turn in your Bibles to the book of Matthew. Matthew chapter 18. I'm reading from the New King James Version this morning. Matthew chapter 18. I hope I don't lose you. Like I said, we're going to tackle today's subject in a roundabout way. So I'm going to need you guys to follow me. Can everyone see me? I was told earlier this week that I was too short. (laughs) And that I need to preach from up here. Is this better? Yeah, I am too short. All right, thank you. (laughs) Matthew chapter 18, verse 21 says this. Then Peter came to him and said, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Up to seven times? Now remember, um, it was the custom of the day to forgive someone three times. And we kind of have that same rule today, right? Three strikes and you're out. And it was the custom of the day to forgive someone three times. So Peter thought he was being clever. Three times, we'll multiply by two and we'll add one for good measure. And so he says, how many times should we forgive our brother? Seven times? And then Jesus responds by saying, I do not say to you up to seven times, but up to 70 times seven Now, for all you mathematicians out there, how many times is that? 490 times. I dare any of you to keep track of forgiving someone 490 times. Why did Jesus say 490 times? Was he just pulling this figure out of the air somewhere? Did it just rhyme? Did it just, was it something cute to say 490 times? We're going to come back to that in just a second. I'd like for you to turn in your Bibles to the book of John, John chapter 2. Remember, I said we're going to approach today's subject in a roundabout way. John chapter 2, starting with verse 1. John chapter 2, starting with verse 1. On the third day, there was a wedding in Cana of Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Now both Jesus and his disciples were invited to the wedding. 
And when they ran out of wine, the mother of Jesus said to him, they have no wine. Jesus said to her, woman, what does your concern have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. Now, I need to explain something to you real quickly, that when we translate this from Greek into English, it kind of loses some of the emotion. It kind of loses some of its meaning. Because oftentimes, if if you read this in English, as we just did, woman, what does your concern have to do with me? It kind of sounds a little edgy. It sounds a bit disrespectful. But indeed, when you read this in the original language, This word here, woman, is a word of endearment, is a name of endearment. It's almost as though he's saying, mama, mom. He's not saying woman. He's saying mom. And then he goes on to explain and he says, my time has not yet come. What was Jesus referring to here? My time has not yet come. Now, before we go on, there is an important lesson for us to learn here that I cannot just move on without addressing. Because that one phrase, my time has not yet come, would do a lot of us a lot of good. In fact, this one phrase, my time has not yet come, would bring a lot of relief if we remember this one phrase, my time has not yet come we would avoid a lot of heartache. What do I mean? Well, at the top of the list, relationships. You see, there's probably a lot of single folks here today. And sometimes we want to get ahead of God. Sometimes we want to jump the gun. Sometimes we're, we're seeking a relationship so desperately, instead of just saying, my time has not yet come. But sometimes we get ahead of God. We want to jump the gun and and we're so intent in finding that special someone, in finding that relationship that we forget that our one goal, our one priority needs to be solidifying and strengthening that one relationship. The one relationship that's most important. The one relationship with Jesus Christ. But yet we try and get ahead of God. And as a result, there's confusion, depression. We get upset. We get mad. My time has not yet come. And so I will take this time to strengthen my relationship with the one. My time has not yet come. Another area that I see this affecting a lot of us is when it comes to purchases. And, and this time of the year, well, there's a lot of purchasing taking place. And sometimes we, we kind of get caught up in the frenzy of it all, right? And have you ever heard this? Well, just get it. Don't worry about it. Just get it and we'll figure out how to pay for it later. <laughs> have you heard that before? My time has not yet come. Take a step back. Maybe save My time has not yet come. This one phrase would save us so much heartache and so much pain. It is the lesson that as we see Jesus, he was patient enough to say, my time has not yet come. Now, what exactly is he talking about here that my time has not yet come? Further study reveals that what Mary was actually asking of Jesus was reveal yourself as the Christ. 
Reveal yourself as the Messiah. Here's a wonderful opportunity for you to do so. And so Jesus responds by saying, my time has not yet come. My time has not yet come. Now my question is this, how did Jesus know when and how he was to fulfill his purpose here on earth? How did Jesus know that? How did Jesus know, how did he understand when and how he was to reveal himself or to fulfill the purpose by which he was called to here on earth? I'd like to submit to you here today that one of the major reasons, one of the major ways he understood when and how he was to reveal himself was through scripture, was through prophecy. Now, yes, obviously, Jesus had a very tight connection with God. He had a very close connection with the Holy Spirit. And we read throughout the New Testament how Jesus would spend time. He would wake up early in the morning, even before the sun would come up, to spend that prayerful time with God in meditation. And undoubtedly, the Holy Spirit would lead him, as we're told that the Holy Spirit leads us. But we also know that at the age of 12, Jesus was found in the temple. He was found in the temple, and it says that the people were astonished at how much Jesus knew at the age of 12. There's another lesson for us parents. Let's never underestimate the potential that our young people have to understand and to grasp the scriptures. Sometimes we think, well, that's too much for them. That's over their heads. They'll never understand. Let's never underestimate the potential that our young people have to grasp and understand the scriptures. So you read to them, you explain to them, you walk through with them what the Bible says about salvation and about life and how we ought to live our lives. Let's never neglect that. But here, how did he know? Surely the Holy Spirit would guide him. But I'd like to submit to you that it was his understanding of Scripture. And so with all of this being said, you're going to see how it all comes together here in just a few minutes. I'd like for you to turn in your Bibles to the book of Daniel. The book of Daniel, Daniel chapter 8. I'd like for you to turn to Daniel chapter 8. Daniel chapter 8. How many of you have ever been so overwhelmed by a situation or something that you saw that you fainted? Anyone here? Show who wants to admit to that. No one? All right, now the hands are creeping up little by little. Hey, I've heard of husbands passing out. In the delivery room. So overwhelmed, but what they... There we go, Mike Owens. Thank you for being honest. So overwhelmed by what you're seeing that you just faint. I know that there are some of you that aren't admitting to this, but how about giving blood? Has anyone (laughs) passed out as you see that big old needle coming towards your arm and you're so overwhelmed by the thought... I didn't realize that if you pass out while giving blood, they don't accept your blood. They, they, I thought they would take advantage and maybe take two pints. 
But here, Daniel is being shown a vision. And he is so overwhelmed by what he is seeing and by what, by, by what he is being told that we read in verse 27 that Daniel fainted. It says, and I, Daniel, fainted and was sick for days. Afterward, I arose and went about the king's business. I was astonished by the vision, but no one understood it. And so here Daniel is being, is being shown this vision. that The angel is trying to explain it to him, but he is so overwhelmed by what he sees that he faints. And it, the Bible says that he was sick for many days. And after he recovered, after he got his strength back, it says that he went about his own business. But what? No one understood the vision. And so now, in chapter 9, in chapter 9, Daniel comes back to this vision. And in chapter 9, verse 1, he begins a prayer, a prayer for understanding. A prayer to help him understand the vision that he had seen. And so, verse 1, 2, 3, verse 10, 12, 14, all the way to verse 19, Daniel is pleading with God for understanding. And now, in verse 20, this is what we read. Now, while I was speaking, praying, and confessing my sin, and the sin of my people Israel, and presenting my supplication before the Lord, my God, for the holy mountain of God. Yes, while I was speaking in prayer, the man Gabriel, whom I had seen in the vision at the beginning, being caused to fly swiftly, reached me about the time of the evening offering. Verse 22. And he informed me and talked with me and said, O Daniel, I have now come forth to give you skill to understand. At the beginning of your supplication, the command went out, and I have come to tell you, for you are greatly beloved. Therefore, consider the matter and understand the vision. And so now after this time of prayer, the man, the, the, the angel Gabriel comes to him and is going to explain to him the vision of, of Daniel 8. And so in verse 24, we begin this explanation. And it starts off by saying, 70 weeks are determined for your people and for your holy city. The literal word there for weeks in the original is seven. So this should read 77s. In other words, 70 times seven. You mathematicians out there. 490. Ah. Do you remember? When Peter said, how many times should we forgive? And he said, 70 times 7. Here Jesus, when talking to Peter, gave a direct reference back to this prophecy found in Daniel. And as we will read in just a second, what you will see happening here is that Daniel is saying, how many times do we, that, that Peter is saying, how many times should we forgive? And Jesus is saying, listen, I've given the people of Israel 490 years to get it together. And now you're coming to me 
with seven times? Here in Daniel chapter 9 verse 24 says 70 sevens, 490 are determined or cut off or set aside for your people and for your holy city. And then the rest of the verse goes on to explain six things that will happen in this 490-year period. Now, I will remind you that when dealing with prophecy, a day is a year. You need to remember that. That's why we get, I mean, 70 70 times 7, 490 days is actually 490 years. And so the rest of the verse, he goes on to explain what is happening in this 490-year period. And so he says six things, and it's broken up into three parts. The first pair, the first two things, is what the people of Israel are responsible for. To finish the transgression, one, two, to make an end to sins. The second pair is what God is responsible for. To make, um, to make reconciliation for iniquity and to bring an everlasting righteousness. That is what God is responsible for. In this 490 year period, this is what I am going to accomplish. Folks, this is good news. I hope you're with me. I know this is exercise, but b- b- believe me, it's going to be rewarding. And so in this 490 year period, he says, I will make reconciliation or to make reconciliation for iniquity to bring in everlasting righteousness. And then the last two things, the last pair of what's going to happen in this 490 year period is what man and God are responsible for together. And it says to seal up vision and prophecy and to anoint the Holy One. These six things are to take place in this 490-year period. And now, check this out. In verse 25, the angel goes back and starts to explain in detail the 490-year period. This is a very common thing when dealing with prophecy. We see this happening in Daniel 2. We see it happening in Daniel 7 and 8. We see it happening in Revelation where the person giving the interpretation of the vision will give you an overall, will we'll set the stage, will set the setting. And then in the next verse or sometimes in the next chapter, they will go back and explain a portion of what's taking place in that prophecy. And so here we read in verse 25, Know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the command to restore and build Jerusalem, let's pause right there. He is now giving us the start date to this 490 year period, which was, as he says here, the going forth of the command or the decree to restore Jerusalem. And, re- and build Jerusalem. Well, thanks to Ezra, the book of Ezra, and the book of Nehemiah, we know that date. We know when that decree went forth. That decree went forth in 457 BC. Okay? 457 BC. I don't expect you to remember that. 
It's going to be hard to calculate this um, in your heads as you're sitting listening to me. And I will be giving you these dates and I I challenge you to go back and verify and, and study this for yourself, okay? But that decree went forth in 457 B.C., That is when this 490-year prophecy began. Now, 457 B.C. plus 490 years lands you in 34 A.D. If you're making the calculations on a piece of paper, remember that you don't count zero as a year. When it goes from B.C. to A.D. But simply put, if you were to add 490 years to 457 B.C., you land on 34 A.D. Does anyone here want to guess what happened in 34 A.D.? The, The stoning of Stephen. In 34 A.D., Stephen was stoned to death. And if you will remember, Stephen speaking to the Sanhedrin, to the Pharisees and the Sadducees, he started way back in the beginning. And he went through Abraham and he went through Moses and he went through the history of Israel leading all the way up to the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. And he's telling them, That this Jesus, who you crucified, is the Christ, is the Messiah, is the one that was prophesied of old, that was to come to wipe away the sins of the world, that was to come to to take your sins, to take my sins. And what was the response of Israel? They stoned him. They, for the last time, rejected Jesus as the Christ. Now to all due respect, to any Jewish people that may be listening today, if you're online and you're listening here today, that was the close of this 490 year period which Jesus said, it is time, you have this time to bring an end to transgression, to bring an end to sin. And by their rejection of Jesus Christ, they no longer were the chosen people of God to share the good news of Jesus Christ. If you read the scriptures closely, you will realize that from that moment on, the people of God, those that were called to ministry, those that were given the task of spreading the gospel as we read in the New Testament, was the priesthood of all believers. Those that accepted Jesus Christ into their life now became the seed of Abraham, now became the chosen ones, now became the royal priesthood, the, 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 the priesthood of all believers. Now, you, having accepted Jesus Christ into your life, are the spiritual Israel. You are the chosen ones. You are the ones that are to take this message of Jesus Christ into the world. The chosen people of of God, Israel, in the Old Testament, they were his chosen people for so long to, to share with the surrounding nations of the goodness and mercy of God. 
They rejected Jesus Christ in 34 AD. And now that task, that responsibility falls on us. Anyone who's accepted Jesus Christ into their life, you are that chosen generation, that royal priesthood, the priesthood of all believers that is to go out and to share the good news of Jesus Christ, of his love, of his mercy, of his sacrifice for us. Let us continue here. Know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the command to restore and build Jerusalem until Messiah the Prince, there shall be, and now he goes back and he breaks it down even further. He says there shall be seven weeks. There's a seven week period. And then there shall be a 62 week period. Seven plus 62 is 69 which means that last section is a week, is seven years, all right? Now, I, I wrote this down so that I can share it with you, all right? 457 B.C., the first decree went out. Seven weeks later, 49 years exactly, in 408, the restoration of Jerusalem was complete, which is the reference there that you see to the street shall be built again and the wall even in troublesome times. In 408, even though there was trouble brewing, the completion of Jerusalem was completed. And then we have a 62-year period, which is 434 years, which lands us on 27 A.D. Now, do you know what happened in 27 A.D.? Jesus was baptized. Jesus' ministry on earth officially began. He was anointed from on high as he was baptized. Do you remember? Do you remember when he went to John the Baptist and he said, all right, we we have to do this. And, And John the Baptist said, no, no, no. I need to be baptized by you. Well, what are you talking about? And what was John's response? Uh, What was Jesus' response? I'm sorry. We have to do this. We have to in order to fulfill all righteousness. And so in 27 AD, to the year, to the day, Jesus knew exactly when his ministry was to begin here on earth. Now what's most astonishing about this prophecy to me is what follows. Because we have seven weeks, we have 62 weeks, and we have one week left. And that week is talked about in detail in verse 27. And it says this, Then he shall confirm a covenant with many for one week. There's that last week that's missing, the 70th week. All right? It says that he shall confirm a covenant with many for one week. And then it says, but in the middle of the week, listen to this, listen, listen. He shall bring an end to sacrifice and offering. Seven divided by two is what? Three and a half. 27 AD, you count three and a half. And guess what? You're at 31 AD. The year that our Lord was crucified on a cross. 
31 AD, the year that Jesus, the Christ, died on the cross, bringing an end to sacrifice and offering. Now, interestingly enough, the sacrifices continued, right? Continued in an empty fashion, a hollow fashion. They had rejected Jesus Christ as their Savior. They'd rejected Jesus Christ as the Messiah. And so they continued sacrificing, and that didn't come to an end till Rome, till the destruction of Rome in 70 AD. But for everyone that had accepted Jesus Christ, the sacrifice of having, of having to go to the temple and, and sacrificing a lamb for, for their sins had come to an end in 31 AD. Why? Because Jesus Christ fulfilled that prophecy. Jesus Christ fulfilled the, all, the sacri- all the sacrificial system. He fulfilled it by being, remember John the Baptist said, behold, the lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. Remember that, that, that the blameless Land, the, the lamb with, without blemish, Jesus Christ, in 31 AD, died on the cross so that you may live. As the Bible says, to take upon himself the sins of the world. How did Jesus know when his time was to begin? Possible to think that Jesus even knew when he was to die? According to Daniel, he did. And what that means is that when he was on his way to Jerusalem in that year of 31 AD to the Passover, he knew exactly why he was going to Jerusalem. He knew that that road to Jerusalem was ultimately going to end on the cross. And despite knowing the pain and suffering that he was going to go through, He chose to take that road out of his love for you and for me. He very easily could have said, you know what, let's let's hold back. There's no need to go to Jerusalem this year. No. But because of his love for you, because of his love for me, he chose to take that road even though he knew that it would lead him to the cross. And don't tell me that he didn't understand the pain and the suffering that he was going to go through. Because we read in the book of Isaiah that surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him. And by his stripes we are healed. Undoubtedly, he had read this. Undoubtedly, he knew that that road to Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover, he knew that he would die. That it would come to fruition. The prophecy as told in Daniel 9 would come to pass. And so here, by his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. In 31 AD, on that road to Jerusalem, he knew exactly what he was getting himself into. And despite knowing the pain and the suffering, he walked that road out of his love for you and for me. 
It goes on to say that he shall bring an end to sacrifice and offering. And on the wing of abomination shall be one who makes desolate. Even until the consummation which is determined is poured out on the desolate. You know in just a few days we will celebrate. We will remember Christ's birth here on earth. We will celebrate it. We will commemorate it. We will say, and and our hearts are filled with joy. This is Christ. This is the creator of the world who became flesh and was born among us. Emmanuel, God among us. But listen, let me encourage you to never forget why he came to this earth. Let me, let me encourage you to never forget why he was born as a child in a manger. It, it wasn't so that we can go about and, and buy Christmas presents for one another and exchange it. It wasn't so that we can set up Christmas trees and lights all around. around. Listen, while all of that stuff brings, brings a lot of joy and, and makes a lot of wonderful memories, that's not why Jesus came to this earth. He came and he was born in a manger as a child. For the purpose of dying on a cross for our sins. And we here today have an opportunity to accept this gift that Jesus gives us. We have this opportunity to say, Christ, out of your love for me, my heart is just drawn to you. And I give you my all. I surrender my life to you. I accept that gift that you freely give me. That gift that was purchased by your blood on the cross. And we have an opportunity here this morning to accept Jesus Christ. Not, not as a baby in a manger. And not even as a, a man dying on the cross. Because the story goes beyond that, right? The story is a story of this Jesus of Nazareth. The Christ who died on the cross. But because, but because of his righteousness. Because of his goodness. He rose on the third day. And has promised to come back for his people. Has promised to return for those who accept him. Come back for those who accept his sacrifice on their behalf. You may be wondering how this sermon today ties in with the larger picture of thy kingdom come. You may be wondering how, do, how does this all fit in with, with the whole second coming thing. Well I, I'm going to whet your appetite for next week. You see because this 490 year prophecy is only the beginning of a larger prophecy of 2,300 years. In chapter 8 of Daniel, he talks about a 2,300-year prophecy. And in chapter 9, he's only in detail discussing the first 490 years of that 2,300-year prophecy... Now guess what? If you add 2,300 years to 457 BC, which is when this all started, guess what date you land on? 1844. 
And now next week, we're going to look at the significance of 1844. And you will see how this whole thing ties together with his second coming. So I hope I whet your appetite enough to want to come back next week. But I want you to leave this place today, never forgetting why Jesus came to this earth. As we celebrate his first coming, let us never forget that the reason why he came to this earth was to be that ultimate sacrifice for us so that the life that he had, we can have. The death that we deserve, he took upon himself on the cross. No matter where you are on your spiritual journey, Frederick Seventh-day Adventist Church would love to help you along the way. They are a family-oriented, grace-filled church serving the Frederick, Maryland area. You can feel free to learn more about them at fredericksdachurch.org. For more podcasts, you can click on Sermon Audio. 